Hi everyone, welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, it's almost here. Packers Dolphins Sunday afternoon, 3.25 p.m. Central Time kickoff. And our last show of the week, and that always means keys to victory for the Green Bay Packers. Where do you want to start with this one? Uh, I think it goes back to the takeaways and turnover margin. I know that comes up, it seems like, every week, and I know every week it seems like I say, well, this is the week it really matters. <laughs> but I think if you look at the, stati- the statistics and the stat sheets, this week it really shows how paramount it is. Uh, the, the fact that the Dolphins' biggest like victory this year for them has been their ability to take away the football the 15 interceptions. If you get beyond that, it's been kind of tough for them. They've had a hard time moving the ball consistently, uh, whether it has been Ryan Tannehill or Brock Osweiler, quarterback. Defensively, as you pointed out in our final thoughts video, they've given up yards there too, specifically against the run. So their big play production, their ability to be 5-4 and four at this point of the year has been able to being able to take away the football. Packers have to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, the, the uh, statistic... The Dolphins have 15 interceptions. Aaron Rodgers has only thrown one. We looked it up earlier today. It was against Buffalo, which was was that week, week four? four? Yeah. Buffalo against week four was Rodgers' only interception this season. So, yeah, I've kind of had the feeling all week that if Rodgers continues to not throw the ball into harm's way, which he's done a great job this year, and it's not as though teams have had a bunch of opportunities to intercept the ball right. on Aaron Rodgers, I like the Packers' chances here because the Dolphins' defense, you know, they rank really in the, you know, the bottom third of the league essentially in in yardage and, you know, they they've had they've had some ups and downs in terms of points allowed, but quite frankly, Wes, you know, they they would have lost, they would have been hung with a really bad loss against the New York Jets last week if not for a pick six. Um, from their defense to pull out a 13-6 to victory. So I agree with you. It's not as though we're sitting here saying the Packers need to win the turnover battle 3 to nothing or something like that in order to win this game. But you can't let this Dolphins defense continue to feed on the turnover thing that has sort of been their spark to get to this point where they're 5-4, and four, even though they're playing with a backup quarterback. Yeah, and, and that's really, I think, one of the things that they've been able to use to, to get through that time is that if Brock Osweiler has done anything really well in these, whatever this has been now, four or five starts he's made, yeah, uh, it's the fact that he has protected the football relatively well compared yep. to you know, what happened in Houston where he ultimately lost his job for that reason and then you know the, the short intervals of time he had with Cleveland and Denver. So... I think this is going to be really interesting. Also seeing exactly what form uh, this secondary takes for the Dolphins. I mean, they said coming out of Miami this week, Adam Gase said everything's resolved with Rashad Jones. Uh, where they're going to go with that, are they still going to be trying to rotate through with Minka Fitzpatrick or how they're going to handle all those safeties? Because it sounded like, and again, as a non-expert, I'm not a beat writer for them, it, it sounded like that was sort of a, the crux of this whole thing is they were trying to rotate guys and, Maybe Rashad Jones wasn't happy with that, whatever. Yeah. But when he's on the field, uh, he's a really dynamic football player, and I think he has two or three of those picks on the season. And as I mentioned earlier this week, a guy like Kiko Lonzo has three picks. I mean, they have a lot of guys and a lot of different body types that can make plays on the football, and you have to be aware of that. Yeah, I think looking at this game from another perspective, I really think this game could come down to the running backs. You have Frank Gore on the Dolphins' side with a partner in Kenyon Drake, and then the Packers obviously have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And looking at what I would consider the number one guys for each team, 
Frank Gore, I think, has really been kind of the backbone of this Miami offense since Brock Osweiler particularly had to take over as the starting quarterback. And, you know, I wrote a piece on it for our website this week. (laughs) You know, Frank Gore's career to me is is really, really impressive. And you can't have anything but the utmost respect for what he's done over 14 years. He ranks fourth all time in the NFL in rushing yards. He's going to end up in the Hall of Fame someday. He's had seven career games against the Green Bay Packers, Wes, if you include regular season and postseason, most of them with the 49ers, the one game two years ago with the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Gore has seven rushing touchdowns and three 100-yard games against the Green Bay Packers over the years. With what he means to this Dolphins offense right now, the Packers can't really let him get going and do his thing, so to speak. I think you have to... You have to make Brock Osweiler be the guy that beats you there. You can't let them run the football and keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. Yeah, and you know who's a really good advocate for that? The Chicago Bears <laughs> uh, giving up 100 yards. I mean, Frank Gore averaged 6.7. He looked like he was 24-year-old Frank Gore in that football game. I mean, just And Drake had a pretty good game for, he, for them against Chicago as well. He did, and then it was actually, I think it was, was it Gore that picked them up at the end there when Drake had the fumble, whatever yeah. the case may be. Here's the other side of this, though, too. Frank Gore is 35. He is a 14-year veteran. Their last three games, he's not had a catch over nine yards, or excuse me, a carry over nine yards, averaging right in that mid-three range, little low threes. Packers need to make sure that that trend continues. I I think we saw in that game two years ago against the Indianapolis Colts, and I know the Packers were obviously ready for him. They've seen him a number of times, but I'll be honest with you, I kind of counted Frank Gore out a little bit uh, going into that matchup. I just wasn't sure a guy that 35 years old, 33 years old at that time, how effective he can be. And Frank Gore still showed in those first five yards how difficult he is to take down when he gets a lane, if he gets a block, how he executes on it. Now, he doesn't have the game-changing power anymore. If he gets to the second level, chances are he's not getting to the third. But the fact of the matter is, when you get back to this offense without Ryan Tannehill, it's been predicated on moving the ball consistently and then also having a potential home run threat there with Drake. This type of game, if it ends up being in the mid-30s, could be the kind of game that they want to get Frank Gore out there. Yeah, and with regard to the flip side with the Packers and Aaron Jones, this Miami defense, as we said, kind of predicated on the interceptions. They're 28th in the league against the run, Wes. I mean, this game, and we're talking about potentially cold weather, mid-30s temperatures. It's snowing outside right now as we're taping this episode. I'm not sure if there will be snow on the ground (laughs) come Sunday afternoon, but Packers really need to be able to run the football in this game. I think they should be able to run the football against this Miami Dolphins defense. And and let's face it, Aaron Jones, he had the first fumble of his career, his brief NFL career last week. It came at a critical time. Unfortunately, really was the turning point in the loss at New England. I know he's put it in the right perspective, but if there's anybody on this Packers offense who's coming into Sunday's game with maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of anger, a little bit of edge to his game. You know, it's Aaron Jones. You know he wants a little bit of redemption for what happened on that first play of the fourth quarter last week. Yeah, Mike, and last week you asked me, uh, it kind of put me on the spot a little bit. It came up in inbox as well. Could that be the week where Aaron Jones has 100 yards? I said I didn't think so, but I also said I thought he'd be really important to that game. I think that and he was, yeah, he absolutely was. This is the kind of game, though, where I think, and I, if he doesn't have 100 yards, I could still see him and Jamal Williams having a lot of production. Uh, I, I just think that that threat is there, and it's very real uh, when you look at how they match up with the Dolphins. And potentially as well, Mike, you know, you go back to 
some of the more difficult stretches uh, the Packers have gone through with their offense and trying to find efficiency. The home base, a lot of times, while this is a structured pass offense, you know, in West Coast principles, home base a lot of times has been the run game. Mm-hmm. It's been the reset button. I think it could be like that in this game. I, you know, we talked about the the fumble last week. Aaron Jones said the same exact thing in his locker that he tweeted that he said to his coaches. He was accountable for it. He stepped up to it. He wants to be better from it. And I think one of the bigger positives was actually Ben Sermon saying it wasn't like it was a a, a careless error that he made or right. A it wasn't some huge fundamental breakdown yes. or something where he just he just exposed the football. It was it was it was a football play. The ball came out. And, he's, and to, to Sherman's credit, he wasn't bailing him out completely. He said there's things you still can do at that juncture, but it almost takes the perfect punch out that yep. Lawrence Guy delivered to be able to turn over the football there. Correct. Aaron Jones is going to learn from that. He's going to get it corrected. I think he can still be a really important player for them down the stretch. I said it on inbox, what, Tuesday, Mike, or Wednesday. Packers are going to need him. He has to move forward. Yeah, he they, they are going to need him, and I think he could be very big in this ball game. Weather conditions here, Wes. What do you, you know? If it's mid thirties, a little chilly. I don't know if there's going to be snow or not. But what do you? How do you think that plays into this game? Really, the first chilly game. Although last Sunday night in New England wasn't exactly warm. I mean, that was that was kind of chilly as yeah. well. But um, but you are talking about a team from South Florida coming up to Lambeau Field here in November for um, a game that, frankly, is going to be a little bit colder than you would expect for week 10 in the NFL. I actually, be honest with you, Mike, this might be a controversial answer. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Okay. And the reason I say that, it actually goes off of something that Clay Matthews said in the locker room. Brock Osweiler played in even worse conditions than this in Green Bay two years ago when he was a starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. Texans lost that game, but Osweiler actually played relatively well. 22 of 35 for 202 and a touchdown. Uh, they just they just had some fundamental things that fell through, and the Packers were able to execute when they needed to. That being said, Frank Gore, while also a, a you know he, a dome West Coast type back, he's shown he can be in those elements and get production. I think the bigger thing in this is going to be not necessarily how the Dolphins react to the elements. It's going to be more. Who's protecting the football, and are you exposing it due to the elements? Uh, you know, your hands start getting a little colder. The ball starts getting a little harder. You know, your fundamentals are challenged a little bit in that, just mm-hmm. from the the air temperature alone. So uh, I think it's going to be really important uh, for the Packers specifically to be able to, what if there is an advantage there to be gained, whether it's practicing outdoors, whatever it is, to make sure you take advantage of that. Because the Packers are 3-0-1 right now at home. This is an opportunity to be able to get some momentum back against a team that doesn't normally play in these conditions. I just don't know if it's ultimately going to be something that turns the tide of the game. Yeah. I think another thing we need to certainly touch on before the end of the week here is special teams for this matchup with the Dolphins. I I know I harped on it last week heading into the game against the Patriots, and we saw it. The game started with Corderell Patterson running a kickoff back to the 36-yard line, a five-yard offside penalty on the Packers tacked on. And Tom Brady gets to start the game from the 41-yard line. Yeah. You might as well have kicked the ball out of bounds, right? right. I mean, if you're going to give yeah. it to him there. He only has to go 59 yards for the opening touchdown, and the Patriots are up 7 nothing. Then we see later in the game the roughing the kicker, uh, roughing the punter call, 15 yards, automatic first down. At the end of the day, that cost the Packers 24 yards of field position because right. they would have had the ball in the 31. Instead, when the defense got another stop, they ended up with the ball in the 7-yard line. 
Um, so those those types of things continue to to hurt the Packers on special teams, and they are facing a guy in this game, Wes, Jakeem, am I saying that right? Jakeem, yeah, Jakeem Grant. Grant. He has a return for a touchdown both off a punt and a kickoff this season. This is a guy who can impact the game, and the Packers have to make sure he doesn't. Yeah, and here's the two other notes about that. The kickoff return out of his own end zone for 102 yards. The punt return wasn't like this was some kind of thing where the guy was going out of his own end zone and punting 71 yards back to the house. So Ron Zook said it when he was meeting with the media on Thursday. Uh, this is a guy that you have to stay on the entire game because he has game-breaking qualities. In a time in which there aren't a lot of guys in those capacities with game-breaking qualities, we know how kickoff returns to some extent have been neutralized. So to have a guy that can turn the tide, I think, again, getting back to the original reason why the Dolphins are 5-4 and four going into this game, they've done really well in situational football. Yeah. Whether it is the takeaways or whether it is the returns or being able just to move the chains, there isn't an aspect of their team where you go, man, this is, this is we got to shut this down if we're going to be fine. No, there's a lot of things that you have to stay up on tune about. Grant had a tremendous career. I believe it was Texas Tech. Yeah, six-round pick two years ago. Okay. A diminutive-type receiver, five foot seven, yeah. 170 it's pounds. Not, that's not basically a, not a big guy, but, boy, he can run. It's basically Wes Hodkowitz. <laughs> but, uh, no, but, I mean, he just he has a lot of physical gifts, and, and it's worked out here the last couple seasons for the Dolphins. And maybe this is the area, Wes, as we've been trying to decide, you know, is the weather going to have an impact on this Definitely game? Definitely could. The kickoffs, it could be harder to get touchbacks when the temperature's in the mid-30s. You don't know how it's going to affect a punting game and a return a return man like this going against you. As as Tremont Williams likes to say, you got to be on your P's and Q's. Yeah. Maybe they should have kept around Drew Kayser this week, right? That was the whole <laughs> thing last week. And, well, maybe he's in there for kickoffs to avoid Patterson. I there were so many strange storylines. There were a lot of there of were a lot of theories as yeah. to uh, as to what was going on there. With thankfully uh, that ended yeah. quickly. But to your original point, yeah, I mean this is I think a big game for Mason Crosby uh, and and then Ron Zook and deciding okay, you know Crosby has kicked in these conditions. He knows what he needs to do. But I think it's probably going to be more about the the strategy that goes behind you know where you're trying to place the ball, what you're trying to do with it because. I don't know, Mike, at 34, 35-degree weather, how much you can just count on being able to kick it out of the back of the end zone every time. And even if yeah. you do, this is the kind of guy like Patterson who might still test you. Well, you'd like to see at some point here the Packers really start to give their offense some better field position. You look at these last two games, Wes, not including the possession the Packers started at the one-yard line after the goal line stand. Not including that one, the last two weeks the Packers have had four possessions starting inside their own 10-yard line. Yeah. One of those was the drive that ended with the Aaron Jones fumble. That drive was actually about 60 yards that they drove, but when you're starting on your own seven, right. yeah, the fumble happens at the 24-25-yard at the line, and, uh, and you don't get any points out of it. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the old Dom Capers theory there about you know if you don't give up the big plays and you don't have big penalties against you, when you force an offense to go the full length of the field, there's going to be more opportunities there to be able to get that takeaway. And in the Patriots' case, it turned out to be a, a very critical one in that game. Yeah, all right. Well, before we go here, Wes, let's take a quick look at what's going on around the NFL this week and the Minnesota Vikings are on their bye so they will sit uh, where they are which is 5-3-1 and one, if I correct. have that correct. Um, the other game in the NFC North, the Bears against the Lions, it is in Chicago. Here's an interesting thing Wes, Sunday is November 11th, correct? Correct. Thanksgiving is November 22, so that's a total of 12 days. Mm -hmm. 
the Lions and the Bears are playing each other twice in a span of 12 days because they're playing this Sunday in Chicago and then on Thanksgiving in Detroit. And the Bears have a Sunday night football game against the Minnesota Vikings in between. You talk about the, you know, a key stretch of your season for Chicago. They're 5-3. and three. They're right there. They've got three consecutive division games here in a span of 12 days, two of them against the same team. This is this is going to be big for Chicago to announce whether they're really in this thing or whether they're still kind of on the fringes. Yeah, and if I, I know Adam Gase, the whole theory down there, at least what they've been saying, is that they won't say the P word, right? They're they're not talking about right. playoffs. But you get two wins over Detroit, now you're starting to put yourself in the conversation. You get a win over Minnesota, add into that, well then you've announced yourself to the party. So uh, this is a critical stretch for them, a critical stretch for the entire uh, NFC North. Uh, just seeing how this is all going to shuffle out, the Packers having to go down to U.S. Bank Stadium uh, in preparation for them for that matchup at Soldier Field next month. So uh, it is a little bit different schedule in terms of how the division has worked out this year, but certainly from the Bears' perspective, you got to get this one. And if you're Matt Patricia and the Lions, you're trying to keep yourselves in it, and there would be no better way to do it than to knock off you know, the, the Bears right from the top. Yeah, an interesting cross-conference game. There have been a lot of them this year, and we saw actually one of them on Thursday, Thursday night, night with uh, Carolina against Pittsburgh, which started out with a flurry of touchdowns, and Pittsburgh kind of never stopped scoring there, rolling up 52. I believe I heard that was the most points they've ever scored at Heinz Field since they it opened is. Since they opened. That's that correct, which also would probably make the most points that they've scored at Heinz Field like through three and a half quarters, Mike. God, I mean, I watched basically that entire game, and it was incredible yeah. uh, to see. Hey by, hey, by the way, just to go on a sidetrack note yeah. for you, Greg Van Roten's a starting guard for the Panthers. Did you know that? Is he really? Greg Van Roten, the undrafted free agent say, the Green form, Bay. the former Packer, wow. 2012 is a starting guard for the Panthers. That was news to me. Wow, I did Figured not, you could appreciate that. I don't yeah, know if anyone else would. I did not know that. But uh, the game I wanted to get to, though, cross-conference, is the Saints coming off of that big win Last week in New Orleans against the Los Angeles Rams, the first team to beat the Rams. The Saints on a seven-game winning streak now since losing in week one to the Buccaneers. They're looking. They're the team that has the spotlight on them now with their winning streak, with their record, the fact that they beat the Rams. They go on the road to play a Cincinnati Bengals team that has been a little bit up and down, but a Bengals team that fancies itself in the mix here, Wes, at five and I'm looking five at the screen there. Five and three. Um a big opportunity for the Bengals and one of these games that you know can be tricky for the Saints when you're coming off of a really really big home win and then you have to go on the road to play a team that's not too shabby. You missed the biggest storyline in this matchup, Mike. It's Drew Brees and that offense against one of the worst defenses we've seen in the modern era statistically right now. The Cincinnati Bengals are giving up yards. Yeah. So this is going to be really big. You know, the, the Bengals the one thing that they get, they are able to play them on their own turf here. But they're going to have to get some big stops or at least some takeaways. I mean, I was reading one of the things out of Cincinnati, I believe, last week. I mean, they are on pace for a record amount of yards allowed, which has just never been the way of a Marvin Lewis-type no, team. No, absolutely so not. So it's going to be interesting to see how they match up now with a Saints team that has added Des Bryant, has both of their running backs healthy, and you, you know, obviously you look at what their receivers are already doing at this point. So uh, I'm very interested to pay attention to it. We obviously won't be able to watch it, but uh, – 
I, I just think that this game, unless they can figure out something in Cincinnati, this is a game that has shootout written all over it. <laughs> it could be could be a fun one, and we'll see what the weather is like in uh, Ohio with what's moving through the Midwest yep. this weekend. Absolutely. So, this yeah. won't be in the Dome, so, I mean, that definitely adds into it. It's just that it's incredible this year. I mean, this, the Bengals are 5-3, and three, but they've had to get yards and points to be able to stay there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we got to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Sunday's game from last Lambeau Field on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.